0: This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. New Mexico's 32nd Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham joined the Washington Post to discuss the historic Biden-Harris ticket and the future of the Democratic Party. Let's listen. I'm Eugene Scott, a political reporter for the that the Washington Post folks uh today i have with you my guest new mexico governor michelle lujan grisham she set to speak tonight at the democratic national convention uh governor lujan grisham welcome back to washington post 5.
1: eugene thank you for having me this afternoon it's i'm it's always a pleasure uh, so thanks again
0: we we can't have you here without starting with uh, a reflection on last night's roll call uh you know we saw A very unconventional approach to uh, getting Joe Biden to the nomination. 57 states and territories um, announcing their delegate allegations. It it just wasn't governors or senators. You know, we saw parents and teachers and students and auto workers. Um, And and I just can't help but to acknowledge how diverse it was. And I know that's been a topic that is of high priority and interest to you uh, in New Mexico. What was your reaction to it?
1: Well, uh, uh, two things. One, you know, we, we certainly weren't uh, advising or controlling how that worked. So I want to give real kudos to the Biden Harris campaign, who are really clear about showcasing right, incredible diversity around this country in ways that people could relate to. And in New Mexico, I was very proud to see uh, Derek Lente, he's a state representative, a member of Sandia Pueblo, and you could see showcased right at the Pueblo that beautiful view of our beloved Sandia Mountains. Uh, And I was delighted not just to have traditional wear and to really re-recognize our sovereign nations, or relationship here, but people really did respond to the natural beauty uh, in this state. And of course, that made me proud. But like you, Eugene, I really enjoyed that approach to the nominating uh, in the virtual convention. I think they did a really great job.
0: You know, so we heard last night uh, from other people uh, beyond just state representatives, we heard from people like Colin Powell and uh, you know, we heard the voice of the late John McCain, and it was it was a night that, in many ways, emphasized voices that you know have, have passed and have gone before us. Uh, but it also emphasized new voices like Exa- Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the the uh, congresswoman from New York. And but there was a lot of discussion about the fact that she didn't even mention Joe Biden's name. Are Are you concerned about how the party is identifying itself with? so many older voices, some that aren't even with us, some conservative ones, as well as some really young voices and new ones uh, that may be more progressive than the nominee? Uh, I,
1: there's been a lot of criticism that I have heard and uh, seen written about, uh, about the approach of this particular democratic nominating convention, uh, uh, the National Committee's efforts here. But I, I want I think it's really important to talk about where we are Uh, as a country, Uh, and the fact that we it's so divisive and hateful and angry and that there is so much fear, not just related to COVID, but what any future could look like. Here's what I'm seeing and here's what I felt last night. You know, I had a unique opportunity to get to serve with Senator McCain now by no stretch of the imagination that I have the kind of relationship that we got to learn about and see last night during the convention. But if you want, and I desperately want this, not just for my state and my family and our constituents, but for America and the world, if we're going to, If we're going to deal with this divide, if we're going to unify the country, then it's not just what we've identified as a progressive platform or our new leaders who are fantastic. Look, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, youngest member of Congress ever elected, uh, she's remarkable and a force of nature. But we also want to know where we've come from. And you and I, before this show started, had a chance to catch up with each other and talk about race relations and teaching history in this country. What the Biden campaign, the Biden-Harris ticket is doing is showing us what civility, dignity, respect, and all kinds, right the confluence of different ideas and strategies, and I think that's valuable when people are feeling left out or left behind that big tent, everyone, and it is a limited amount of time. And when people don't see themselves or, you know, one, one of their, uh, icons reflected or another, I can see how people can maybe feel a little disappointed. I feel optimistic about the opportunity to unify our country. And as you know, Joe will tell you, uh, he's fighting for the soul of the nation. And to do that, uh, you gotta talk about your extended family, uh, not just uh, the closest family members. And I think they've done a really good job at reflecting that.
0: We've seen some polling here at The Post uh, following Harris's announcement, and it's it's largely been well-received by many voters on the left. And we know that you, too, uh, were on the short list for uh, the VP slot on this ticket. Why do you think it was so important for Biden to consider women of color when trying to decide who would be his number two person?
1: Well, again, if you're going to reflect who we are as a country, and we want to, you know, people want to see themselves in their elected leaders. And when you think about your security, your future, your opportunity, if nobody who's talking about that, who's working to deliver that looks like you or that you can relate to, then it already feels like you're left out. And the fact that Vice President Biden said there would be a woman on the ticket as vice president, that he embraced and lifted so many women of color was another effort, I believe, at showing that we have uh, uh, an an enormous amount of growing incredible talent in this country. And I was really proud to be part of that team. And I think that Americans, by and large, are seeing uh, Senator Harris uh, as an incredible, Talented, optimistic, you know, a visionary leader who can say to every little girl, right, and every woman who uh, is engaging in her community and in a leadership role, that that's the future of our country. Joe Biden said that he wanted to build a bridge to future Democratic leaders. I think the way in which uh, he has chosen his running mate and showcased so many other women in this country, he is already true to his word, and I think it's really going to enhance our country's leadership standing in the world.
0: Speaking of future leaders, uh, we talked earlier about the moment that America is having right now, a, a bit of a reckoning and trying to rethink and, uh, our, our history with race and what we want America to be moving forward. And for so many of these conversations about race in this country, the, the discussion has been limited to black and white. Um, And I know that New Mexico, like many states, has populations that go beyond black and white, but are very much a part of this conversation. Can you talk a bit about the need to expand the conversation about race relations and systemic racism beyond just black and white?
1: Absolutely. I, we, we have to first, as a country, uh, uh, recognize that structural institutional racism is real, has been real in this country. Uh, and pretending that you can work around the edges of that public health crisis uh, is wrong. It was always wrong. It's just as wrong today. And a state like New Mexico is in a very unique position, given our multicultural identity, to recognize, and we've got a landmark uh, 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 case out of our New Mexico appellate court that occurred before I was elected governor, It says that we're leaving behind children and families in our educational system uh, that uh, come from every cultural, racial, diverse background in the state. And it is another recognition that we have a real problem with discrimination and racism in this country. Uh, And New Mexico is going to take that opportunity to transcend that while we recognize that we haven't done right by our black brothers and sisters in New Mexico. That when we address that, we must also simultaneously talk about our uh, tribal brothers and sisters, our Indian American community members, our Asian uh, American New Mexicans, every single community of color, that because of the color of their skin or whether you're another uh, the uh, community that we have tried to leave behind in this country, when we talk about equality, that regardless of your sexual orientation, you know your religion, your gender, or the color of your skin, all things in this country can and should be equal, but aren't. And so in New Mexico, we've got a Council for Racial Justice. We're going to tackle this from education to economic security and health care. And we do that also by addressing environmental inequities in communities of color. And that's something I'm going to get a chance to talk a little bit about tonight. And so I really appreciate that. And this is right a ticket that is clear that this country must do not just better, That we have to take this on as the public health emergency and the crisis that it really is. And that means dealing with it from public safety issues to education in every context possible. And we can't heal as a nation until we address this head on.
0: That's awesome. That's really awesome. You gave us some idea of perhaps what it is that you may discuss tonight as you speak. Uh, at the Democratic National Convention. Can you give us a little bit more? What are some of the main takeaways you're hoping people leave with?
1: Well, there are so many crises that we are all dealing with. So you and I have touched on uh, uh, racial injustice, Uh, We certainly, uh, no one uh, in this country or anywhere around the world isn't clear about the uh, pandemic crisis and the healthcare emergencies that we're all grappling and coping with. And as a result, now we've got depression level economic issues that are uh, significant. And the decisions that we make today uh, will either make or break our opportunities to support and protect each other going forward but there are other existential crises that are exacerbated by the problems we're engaged in today but are no less important and that includes us saving the planet from ourselves. Climate change is one of those threats. It's another worldwide emergency. And I want to talk about how diversity, showcasing a state like New Mexico, who has enormous potential in renewable energy, and who is now a climate change, right? We're an activist state, really making a difference in any number of ways, setting some of the most aggressive renewable portfolio strategies in the country. So I get to showcase New Mexico's leadership and remind voters that the the choice couldn't be clearer. If we're going to address every single crisis in the context that it deserves, they are all priorities. And it takes real vision and leadership. And that's uh, in two minutes, I'm going to put all that together and what I hope (laughs) is a pretty powerful package
0: awesome awesome we we will be watching for that but since you brought it up talking about the choice can you tell us how you believe joe biden can help new mexico uh in ways that donald trump just hasn't
1: well you know here's the easiest way to describe that and and honestly you know i worked for three different governors as a cabinet secretary or a high level uh nearly cabinet official Uh, one of the agencies that i worked for wasn't cabinet level at, at the start of my career But by and large, uh, two Democratic governors, a Republican governor and any number, right, of Republican and then Democratic uh, White Houses, Uh, you need a leader. So I want to talk about two things. The current occupant in the White House, uh, in my opinion, uh, only cares about himself. Uh, he is not reflective of the priorities of the country or of this state, not interested in helping us make it and seizing every opportunity and creating right, fair opportunities for this country. I've seen other Republican presidents do a much better job in that context about making clear and making sure that they represent, even if we have policy differences, the whole country. So start there. We have someone in the White House that is abdicating a federal presence and federal responsibility, somebody who's been uh, uh, racist, misogynistic, uh, and unfair, and really just about self-serving issues uh, and priorities. That requires an immediate change. Joe Biden, as a Democratic leader for our future, recognizes, right, we can put two trillion dollars into infrastructure investments that would be a game changer from education to health care and renewable energy. If we don't do something about our broken roads and bridges, about our broken spirit, about the dignity of working families and a good day's respected, dignified day's work, you can't rebuild this country. I need broadband and connectivity. $2 billion in New Mexico would change the face of our healthcare system and our education system. These two components mean that I lift families out of poverty into a brand new opportunity. He believes in that future for this state. He believes in that future uh, for the entire country. And quite frankly, uh, I think uh, our worldwide leaders are hungry for a return in the White House where they see a partner in tackling any number of these issues fairly and productively. Uh, And uh, that's why I am so enthusiastic about supporting uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, This is a really exciting ticket who can tackle the crises and build a future for every single American. And I'm going to do everything in my power to seize this moment and to make sure we restore justice in the White House.
0: That's great. That's great. And as we talked about earlier, uh, you were on the short list to be a VP for Joe Biden. And we just want to get a bit of insight into what that process is like. Did you get to meet with the former vice president? And, and if so, what did you learn about him and his team that, that might be news or surprising to most Americans?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know if I've got something that's going to be uh, news or surprising, uh, particularly given his distinguished career, where most of us have had a sense about Joe Biden. What we're getting now is a confirmation he's who we always thought he was and believed he was. So one, The the process was excruciatingly painful. Uh, Imagine uh, uh, having to go all the way back to nearly high school and think about every decision you made, uh, every uh, uh, activity you were engaged in as a 17, 18-year-old. I'd like to think I've matured a bit uh, as a uh, 60-year-old in the different opportunities that I've had, both uh, representing uh, a district of New Mexico in Congress, and uh, uh, representing a county, and also representing the state in a number of uh, incredible positions. But here's a story that I want your viewers to know about. So, uh, I I can relate to Joe Biden in a number of ways. You know, I lost my husband unexpectedly, found myself as a single mom of two incredible uh, uh, daughters. Uh, but that is a a a, a horrifying. Uh, experience, and so many Americans find themselves uh, in these tragic circumstances. Now, it took me a lot longer in life uh, to find uh, another partner. Maybe uh, that partner found me, but uh, my fiancé, a lovely guy named uh, Manny Cordova, lifelong Republican. Uh, And he accompanied me for the second uh, inauguration of the uh, Obama-Biden White House. And uh, Vice President Biden came to um, uh, an event that was hosted for new members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And here's my guy who's never been in any kind of context like this in his life. Uh, And somehow the vice president sort of singled him out walked right over, engaged in a conversation, talked to him about his life, his business, took a real interest in uh, what his issues are uh, and concerns were. And from that day forward, uh, my fiance refers to the vice president as Joe, uh, believes, and it's true, that they've got a special and unique relationship. And he changed his party affiliation, not for me, uh, but for the vice president. He is that guy. He relates to each and every one of us. He cares about all of our stories and these personal tragedies uh, are a constant reminder and the joy and love in his life today that all things are possible, that bad things happen to good people. And if you have good, earnest people with integrity and vision and leadership, in positions of power and influence that can make a difference for all of us. And I do think you're seeing that represented and you certainly saw it uh, in the way in which they talked about uh, how Jill, uh, Dr. Biden and uh, the vice president, Uh, that warmed my heart and I related to their story in so many ways. And I think that happened for uh, most of us uh, in America last night.
0: Indeed, I think that certainly has been part of the reaction I'm seeing coming from people following, hearing more about uh, the personal stories of Joe and Jill Biden. Uh, but I wanna switch gears a bit uh, to speak with you about something uh, that you you are uniquely positioned to speak about for multiple reasons, and, and that's the Latino vote. Um, my first question is about Hispanic representation on stage at the Democratic National Convention this year. Uh, you're speaking tonight, but Julian Castro, who was the only Latino candidate in the Democratic primary, was not asked to be one of the keynote speakers. Uh, Was that a mistake at all?
1: It's really hard to engage in and speculate about those decisions. Here's what I can do. I can reaffirm that as someone who needs to reach out to Hispanic and Latino voters on behalf of the the Biden-Harris campaign, that I have a great deal of regard for Secretary Julian Castro, and I got to serve in Congress with his remarkable brother, Joaquin Castro. Uh, We don't want to forget their participation, their stories, their uh, outcomes. They've made uh, immeasurable difference in lifting up, particularly younger leadership styles and families across America. They can highlight immigration. You know, my family's been in New Mexico for more than 400 years, it's a different story, a different set of hurdles to overcome and different set of opportunities. And so uh, I, I think it's maybe a little too easy to try to frame this of what could they have done better. Uh, COVID has changed the way in which treat, in which the way in which we do any of these, right, campaign, either local or national environments. I've had the opportunity to been on you know, local state to state Uh, campaign. Uh, They're all virtual efforts with the secretary. And I would expect that I'll get to do more of those. He's a powerful voice. uh, And I intend to use that powerful voice and others just like that to engage the Hispanic and Latino vote all across the country. And I hope that whatever small effort I have tonight, that I can reassure every community of color that this is the right choice for you, and uh, and to re-recognize there are so many more leaders across the country that have made a difference that are supporting this ticket, and to make sure that folks don't feel left out, but rather big tent, um, limited time, and with uh, you know uh, just just uh, 70 plus days to go, uh, no, we we can't waste any more moments debating, right, how many of us can discuss what a great ticket this is. But it's all of us in every moment that we have, whether it's nationally televised or just at the kitchen table. We've got to deliver and make sure that we have a Biden presidency. And I couldn't be more excited to cast my vote for Vice President Harris at the same time.
0: Awesome. We, uh, you know, we have recent news showing that uh, the Postmaster has announced uh, that the Post Office is suspending their cost-cutting operational changes uh, that could jeopardize mail-in voting, something you uh, were just talking about in terms of people getting out to uh, express their support for uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, is there any concern that the current approach uh, to mail-in voting coming from this administration and the Post Office leaders it's gonna have a negative impact on voters in the election?
1: I I do want voters to be really clear that there's not massive fraud, that that's a made up effort to really suppress voters uh, and uh, the democracy in this country. And I'm appalled uh, by the debate about that, uh, uh, that has zero evidence that that's really the case because it isn't the case. But I am concerned that there are always been voter suppression efforts. And to see those actually managed and supported and led right out of the White House uh, is nothing short of appalling. I am confident that uh, Congress is going to act because constituents, irrespective of party affiliation, have made very clear what the Postal Service means to them. Right, Everything from prescription drugs to In a COVID world, this is how we're getting basic Uh, necessities like food. So there's no way. We, We need to make sure that the credibility and the workforce is managed, maintained, and supported today and through the election. Here are things that New Mexico is doing that I hope other states do as well, right? Our congressional delegation and others are inspecting our postal service operations, making sure that there's not a reduction in force and that all of their major mail sorting equipment is intact, that they aren't reducing, right, mailboxes that we're putting vote boxes out so that you can return your ballots. We barcode our absentee ballots so we can track them uh, all the way through the process. And we encouraged and had a 1000% increase in absentee voters in our primary. And we expect that trend to continue. So we're COVID safe. Every vote matters. We protect those votes. We track them. And we're making sure that the post office will maintain its current operation. And any place that we can support those operations fairly and effectively, they should expect this state to do so. And I think other states ought to be following in the same suit and a message to Congress. I thank Speaker Pelosi for bringing everybody back. The Senate should do the same. They need to do everything they can to both prevent any future reductions in effort at the post office and to make sure that needed resources get to the post office to continue its operations and make it very clear we're ready for our November elections.
0: You talked about COVID a bit. Can you give us an update on where New Mexico is uh, with COVID-19 right now?
1: Uh, New Mexico is actually in a really great place, but I want to be, I'm always cautiously optimistic. Uh, Because we don't have a national strategy to combat the virus, uh, you end up, right, one day is good, one day is a little less good, the next day is stellar. Uh, Here are the realities. I have learned that safe, smart, slow, prudent work is the way in which you can introduce some risk so that you're building economic recovery. But I'm really clear that if we're gonna do any in-person learning, uh, and given that uh, what's gone on around the country doesn't look good so far, uh, that I have to have the lowest positivity rates possible, the lowest rate of infections possible, and we have a very strict gating criteria. We are meeting that, frankly, we're crushing that. Uh, we went from when we saw the uh, outbreaks in our neighboring states that were horrific. New Mexico went from, you know, about 100 plus seven day average of cases to a well more than 400. Uh, daily case count. We're back down now to 100 or below. uh, And we're seeing our positivity rate fall below two and a half percent. And we've been one of the lead states in the country for testing so that you can go to an outbreak and deal with that proactively, which is the only way you can take a safe, smart, very limited approach. We're gonna do a hybrid, so two days uh, for one small group of kiddos, uh, K through five, and then another two-day pod, small groups, mask wearing, social distancing, no group settings, so that we protect our students, we protect our educators, and we protect their families. We think we're gonna be able to do that just after Labor Day. New Mexico has to stay the course to achieve that. So far, so good. Uh, And I can tell the nation, face coverings work. Social distancing, all those public health measures work. The more New Mexicans do, the better our outcomes are. And we never, even with some serious containment strategy problems, uh, because the federal government doesn't have the right, they've never met their treaty responsibility, never provided the adequate funding or healthcare to sovereign nations. Uh, Their testing results were taking five to 14 days to come back. You know, we do that in 24 hours unless we've got a supply shortage. Uh, We've been really good. Well, they didn't have that opportunity in sovereign nations. Um, And if that hadn't been the case, uh, we would have had fewer deaths by far And we never really overwhelmed our healthcare system, but it got dicey in small rural hospitals that just don't have the personnel to support ICU and critical care needs. Uh, And so I'm really proud of New Mexico, but it could have been better, could have been different, and there's no reason uh, this country has to grieve more than 170,000 lost lives. Um, that uh, That is federal government malpractice. Uh, Nothing short of that. Uh, And we will do better because we're going to have Joe Biden in the White House.
0: Yeah, so, so much of that was avoidable, very much so. And you spoke about hospitals and healthcare, and we know that you have a background in health. You served as the secretary of the state health department in New Mexico before you uh, were governor and uh, expressed interest, I believe, in maybe being secretary of health and human services in a Biden administration. Is that something you would still uh, perhaps want to do if, if the former vice president became the, vi- the, the president? So I'm gonna reverse
1: that. Uh, uh, Wonderful people like you have said incredible things about my background and career. I'll take that all day, every day. (laughs) And as that information has, uh, and including in the vetting process, made its way uh, to uh, the vice president and uh, Senator Harris, uh, I'm thrilled by that. Here's what I expect. I expect that not just me, But all of the other folks who have real healthcare expertise because they're clinicians and on the front lines and folks like me who have delivered on any number of healthcare policies around the country need to be at the table talking about what happens next for COVID, what we do about getting treatments and a vaccine that's safe and credible uh, that really confers immunity for America. And then we have to deal with the healthcare crisis in and of itself. We've got to build our rural hospitals. We have to invest in all of that infrastructure. We need to increase quality. We need to reduce costs. We need to have the healthcare that's at the right time, right place, right, right system, right care. All of that has to be addressed. I, uh, I feel pretty confident that I'll get an opportunity to talk about those priorities with a Biden administration. Uh, Eugene, how lucky am I to be a governor? frankly, the governor of the best state in the nation. I, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that New Mexicans will invite me to stay as governor uh, in 22. And I think uh, that's the best way to serve America and to serve New Mexico.
0: Awesome. Awesome. In addition to you uh, speaking tonight, uh, former President Barack Obama is going to speak. Uh, can you share your thoughts on how important it is for him Uh, to be uh, very vocal, as he has been, about getting voters to support the Biden-Harris campaign?
1: Well, look, he's an incredibly popular president. I think most of Americans now really understand the impact that President Obama and Vice President Biden had on our economic success and recovery after the 2008 recession. Uh, It is incredibly powerful and important for him to remind folks in this context, with these sets of incredible, dire emergencies, you need somebody who's ready on day one, who walks into the West Wing, and knows exactly what you have to do, first, second, and third, who's willing to serve in that capacity, who's fearless, strong, and independent, but who is empathetic and compassionate and really understands, because he's lived that life, what all of us do in our working class American families uh, and really embraces the diversity and differences, the nuances of each of those families, but we're all reaching for the same American dream. Nothing better than hearing that from a former president who can point to the partnership that he had in that White House, the successes that Vice President Biden delivered in that context and how ready and eager he is to restore credibility and faith in the United States of America and in federal government itself. And the truth is this, while states are incredibly, and I'm proud of that, independent, If we have a federal government that's competing with us, that works against us, that doesn't care or grieve with us when we lose members of our states, while we're holding up our families and navigating this crisis without their leadership support and support, it's a catastrophe. And this country deserves to be reminded in a productive, fair, uh, an incredibly motivating way, and nobody better than Barack Obama to do that, we can and will do better again, because we're gonna put the most capable, most prepared candidate into the White House with a vice president who is ready, willing, able, and quite frankly, is one of the most qualified, if not the most qualified women in America to undertake a response to all of these critical issues. Um, And I'm really looking forward to hearing that because um, while I'd like to think I don't need to be reminded, being motivated and inspired are two things that are valuable to each and every one of us in this effort with uh, just a couple of months to go.
0: Indeed, ab- absolutely, uh, that is the case. And and we just wanna thank you, Governor, for taking time to speak with us. We're out of time, uh, but we wish you the best and much success tonight as you deliver your speech. Uh,
1: Eugenia, I'm expecting to hear you clapping somewhere in the distant <laughs> background.
0: Yes, I will be there. I certainly will be watching. Thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for listening.